to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. It's a two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again, everybody. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm with my friend Bob. Uh, apparently, everybody else has dropped out for this week, and shame on them. They're missing out. But uh, this week, uh, as part of our ESP week that we're still presenting, I thought as uh, one last piece of it, we'd talk about the other sort of famous ESP episode of Star Trek. We talked last time about the cage. This is the second pilot. I'm kind of surprised that in the second pilot, when they make you redo a pilot, you wouldn't go with something completely different. I mean, when you watch, when you see these two pilots back to back and, and compare them, I mean, they're not that, that different from each other. It's, it's uh, each of them in, in both episodes, they have people that either manipulate uh, your mind so you think you're in a different place or you can actually manipulate the place which is more this episode and they have kind of ESP and thought reading things going throughout both episodes and uh, you know I, I just I'm surprised but this episode definitely has a little more uh, they wanted it more visceral so it has a little more fisticuffs and things like that but on the other hand so did the other episode when in the cage where he when he took on the the alien they, they put him back in the position where they'd uh, had a fight with this alien a number of weeks before and then he had another fight with that alien that was the action piece also of course when he's fighting the um, the uh, character in the cage the one of the they were coming in to, to try and take their phasers away and he grabs the person and drags them into the room and that person becomes like a giant ape sort of thing or whatever he is uh, attacking um, uh, Pike. That's another little action scene. So it seemed to me like there was action in that one. I don't even know what the problem was. I mean, I, I personally like the cage probably as much as uh, this episode, maybe even better. I don't know. But what do you, what do you think about Bob that between the two episodes and, 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 do you think they changed enough from one episode to the other, or do you see them fairly similar like I do, or what do you think? Uh, well, I know that the producers thought the cage was too cerebral. Right. And Westerns are really popular, so yes. they wanted guns. So that's why you see the big laser cannon that Kirk has at the end. Right. I think this one is a little less visceral. I mean, it, it does kind of a little egg-hitty, but there, to me it's more taunt. And, and Gary seems more malevolent than the right. Vince. I don't know. Well, and you can definitely get into Gary's character and see where he's coming from and empathize with him more than the aliens in the last, in the cage. In the cage, you can't really empathize with the aliens or understand where they're coming from at all because they're so alien and so different. And maybe that's the big change is, is in this one, the bad guy or whatever you want to call it would be one of his own, uh, one of the cast and and uh, and it was interesting when you watch this the first time. If you've never watched any other episodes, and you watch this, you're going, 
uh, at, at, towards the beginning, you're thinking, "Well, is Gary going to be a regular member of the of, of the show?" He comes across as that way, and then and, and Sally K- Kellerman that's in here as well comes across as as oh, is she going to be a regular member of the show? And they just feel like they fit in with the rest of the cast, and yet they are one episode each, and then they're and they're gone. So. Um, but they both, as actors, they do a brilliant job. I think their acting is just top notch for both of them. And that's one of the reasons I enjoy it. This is one of my favorite episodes ever of Star Trek, probably. Um, I don't know. Uh, what Bob, for you, is is this like in your top 10 episodes or anything? Or, or what do you think? Yeah, I'd probably have to put it in my top 10. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty taut, like you said. And the, both the actors that are in it do really well they also have you know there's still some carryover from the original pilot in terms of like their uniforms and other yes. things some updates to the ship uh, you don't see the newer uniforms till the series the right wait the more the more of the like the turtleneck thing so there's a lot of like crossover that way too which um, is interesting for sure they don't wear the uh jackets for the landing party that they did in the cage they they did away with those but uh, but yeah, there was some carryover, and there's some interesting standalone things. I mean, in this episode, like you say, he, they've got that hand carried uh, laser rifle, uh, phaser rifle thing, I guess you would call it, um, that we never see again in any other episode. I don't think, other than maybe in a background shot or something. Um, but that's kind of a cool thing. But also, I was going to say, in the cage, they had that cannon thing that they put on the planet that channeled the energy apparently from the ship supposedly uh almost like wi-fi or something onto it <laughs> so but but that but that was a kind of a cool thing that they've never had after that they would just shoot at it from uh space and not actually have that something they this giant cannon that has to transfer the energy or anything but uh, yeah I, I think that for both episodes it's interesting seeing the technology they move away from and what they keep uh, is fun. Um, and I think in both episodes, they have like handwritten, like log things where in future episodes, they give him something that looks more like a I, iPad or something that he's writing on. Whereas in both episodes, I think they have actual paper that they're flipping through and writing on and things. So, cause you just never see paper again. I don't think after these two episodes, it's not like paper exists in their world or something. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what, what about the ESP in, in this one? Um, so, what what did you see? What are his powers that he that he gets throughout this episode? And Sally Kellerman eventually gets. He starts out just becoming more and more intelligent, and then he's able to manipulate objects and you know destroy and create objects. Yes. I think, and the other thing I think about this episode that's different is you see, like you have the Telosians, like you said, they're aliens. In this episode, they're, he's human, so you see that human frailty of like the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it becomes more and more evil and more and more full of himself as he becomes powerful, which is, I think, something people can more relate to than an alien. Well, and I have to uh, give huge kudos to both the writers and to the actor um, who plays uh, Gary Mitchell, um, just in that that is such a great slow burn uh, 
from just the way he's written at the very beginning throughout, because at the beginning, you can see he's got some issues. He's a, a womanizer. He's got a lot of things that are in the Kirk character as well. And you can see how they can be friends, but he has an edge on it that Kirk doesn't have. And then uh, we find out, you know, he's uh, the highest on the ship as far as ESP goes. Right. And those are the people that are affected the most. And so he, and then he slowly is turning first to somebody who's just trying to deal with this and uh, Kirk's trying to be helpful to him and things. And then he goes from that to where he can read really fast. He starts reading everything in the ship's library. Spock's getting concerned about it. And as we, every time we see him, he's got a little more power than the last time. Uh, the scene with Kelso where he's yelling at Kelso for not noticing the heads on uh, some tips on, on something or other that, that, that had turned to lead. And he, and, uh, he had seen it in his mind, in Kelso's mind. So you're going, okay, the ESP is really kicking in. And then the scene where he floats the glass over to him and catches the glass in midair and right as Kirk's entering the room. And so Kirk can see that he did that. Uh, and it's just showing that all of a sudden he's also got telekinetic powers coming in. He eventually has powers where he can create something out of nothing, essentially like a transporter or something where he's making things that weren't there exist. Uh, and, and you can, and when Spock says he's getting geometrically more and more powerful, you can actually follow that geometric progression throughout the episode, which is pretty cool. You don't usually, usually someone snaps and they change. It's not where you got this slow burn. And I think that really makes this episode work in a unique way that I can't think of any other episode I've ever seen in television that does something like this, uh, not science fiction, not anything that has a character that slowly changes over the course of the episode and becomes your big bad guy. Um, anyway, uh, am I on the right ballpark there? Yeah. Uh, like you said, it was a good piece of writing and acting. The other thing that I think is sort of funny is this whole thing, you know, with the eyes. Yeah. They look up. I thought that was acting, but I guess that was a contact. Yeah couldn't see through them so they had to see they had to look up and it makes them look really arrogant which turned out perfect for the episode and, oh yeah that and right right i read the same thing that it says that because i just thought yeah he's just you know he definitely has the contact you can see the color contact. also that's a really cool effect for back in the time I, I i that looks like a something you could do in the 70s or something that's something you do in the 60s but that's awesome that they can pull that off but then the context like you said made it where he couldn't see so he had to look, he had to look under them. So he's always tipping his head back. And yet, and so it just looks, it totally adds to the character of, of looking like I'm above you now and that sort of thing. I mean, just the way he completely changes the way he stands, the way he walks, everything changes as he becomes more and more powerful. Um, and then little things like he starts to gray at the temples and that sort of thing that gives him a different look. Uh, throughout the episode, towards the end of the episode. Um, I thought it was interesting when he switches back in the middle of their fight. There's a couple times in the episode where he switches back to being old Gary and like he doesn't realize or have the motivations that he did once, once he's old Gary that he does when he's regular Gary. Um, 
when he's when he's the 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 trans one but when he's but before he's transmorphed and everything the eyes change back to 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 uh brown but then i think too i think they take away his hair uh gray and it's in his temples and he and he goes back to being just just normal hair and so it really makes it stand out that he's that he's different and at that point at one point i think he says jim or something like uh when he gets shocked by the by the force field he falls back and and just looks him for a second he's like jim like what's going on like i don't know what's happening here and then spock says oh they can handle him now or they can deal with him now but then he changes back too quick um and then during the actual end fight scene he changes for a long period of time that it's that he's he's changed back for 30 seconds or something like that and is fighting kirk the whole time but in that case he continues to want to fight Kirk. He doesn't change and become like, oh, what's going on, Jim? I don't know what's happening here. Uh, he's still the character wanting to to hurt Kirk. So I don't know. That always stood out to me as being a weird thing. Did that ever, did that, did the way I described that, did it make sense, Bob? Yeah. Um, that may be a little bit of a gap in the script, but. Right. Because you're right. He doesn't he looks normal but he's still either that or he's not all the way back i don't know i don't know yeah Yeah. or he's too far gone at that point and i i don't know what happens there because he does fight kirk though he doesn't at the beginning of the fight with kirk when he first changes back he's kind of stunned again a little bit like he was by the force field because kirk gets in a number of, of blows on him and then he starts fighting. It always makes me wonder if Kirk had not had not done that, and Kirk just said, "You know, Gary, are you okay?" or something. Would he have said, "Yeah, I'm fine. What's what's going on?" You know, or whatever. But because he immediately gets attacked by Kirk, does that? I don't. I don't know what goes on there. But then on the other hand, he says before he changes, he says, uh, or does it after he changes? He's got the. Kirk has the rock and he goes and kind of grabs it at the same time Kirk does. And then his eyes change back. Do his eyes change back? And then he says, uh, I know Kirk says, Gary, forgive me as he's about ready to smash him with the rock. And he grabs the rock from Kirk at that point and says to Kirk, I'll forgive you for a moment, James, but your moment is fading. Does he say part of that line without his eyes change and then his eyes change or do they change before all that? I can't remember how that all plays out. Yeah, I'd have to look at it again. Yeah. I, I didn't keep that close of attention, I guess. Yeah. No, but it's, it's that's just that whole thing of him changing back and forth and what, where, what his feelings or motivation or where he is as a character throughout that time. Is I just find really interesting as to as to how that works, and I love that line. You know that whole thing about your moment is fading and all of that. Um, it just it's kind of completely corrupt. Or yeah. Completely, yeah, beautifully. Uh, the other thing that yeah, Kirk would have lost without uh, Sarah Keller. Yeah, Sarah Sally, Sally Keller. Keller. Yeah, Kellerman. Yeah, her character. Yeah, she uh, she uh, she was in. Uh, her big other thing, I mean, she was probably in lots of, she was in lots of things. She's a famous actress, but she was played uh, <clears throat> Hot Lips Houlihan. Yeah, in, in a movie. 
the movie of of Mash was probably her other big claim to bigger claim to fame than this. But for for geeks like us, this is her big claim to fame. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, she she uh, changes as well in this episode and starts zapping him and things, and uh, that's what essentially changes him back. Let's Kirk fight him, um, yeah, and and uh, allows Kirk to win. the The part I always thought, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, I guess it worked, and and that's fine. Was when at the end when Kirk shoots, he doesn't shoot Gary, he shoots the the rock formation above Gary, and it falls on Gary in the in the uh, crypt. But I always thought he was at he had his eyes back. He was looking like he was almost full force. So the question is, could he be under the rock and just kind of melt the rock away and then come out, you know, uh, but they were having that be that he was dead. So, and that's, and, and Kirk wonderfully uh, got a chance to see Kirk's uh, shirt uh, get ripped off and, and have the, <laughs> have, that was basically the start of the, of the Kirk loses his shirt in the midst of a fight thing to go off his pecs or whatever. But yeah, like, like when he fights, uh, Finnegan. Yes. Yes. This shirt. Yeah. Even <laughs> shirt ripping. Hey <laughs> boy. Well, and then and then what was the, what was the movie that that uh, parodied Star Trek in some ways? The one with the Tim Allen. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember the title of it, but anyway, in that movie, he, Tim Allen has no shirt on as he's doing his fight scenes and things, and it's <laughs> very much the same. And someone even jokes. Uh, You've lost your shirt again, you know. <laughs> this must be time for a fight scene. Anyway, it's all good. But, but no, I, I really strong episode. Um, interesting how it ESP plays in this episode, um, and that's why I kind of wanted to bring it out to us uh, this week since it's sort of ESP week. This is one of the more effective. I find that if you're going to use ESP effectively in a action sort of show, it's usually tied in with telekinesis because ESP's X amount of excitement, but telekinesis gets you even further. And in this case, I think it's beyond telekinesis. I don't know what they call it. Is it trans transmutation or transfiguration or whatever, where you can change something into something else that adds a whole nother layer. Um, and really his, his powers in this episode are very reflective of Wanda in WandaVision. I mean, if you think about the, what she can do and what he can do, they are very, very similar. Uh, I didn't really think about it until this moment, but I'm going, yeah, they, they work because she can do all the things he was doing. She can do. Uh, right. Yeah. Apparently it did, she's not affected as much by it as he is. Yeah. Her yeah. eyes didn't change and she didn't get all evil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, I think he's a more accurate depiction of a person. Of myself. what would happen? Yeah. Yeah. Just the old Lincoln adage, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't you have to be really strong to be able to handle that. Right, right. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I am having as I'm growing older, I think I I would have originally said that yes, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, and probably still does if you ever had absolute, absolute power. But I do start to see things like the presidency and things and how they say the presidency doesn't change who you are. It just brings out 
who you already are to an even further extent. And I think that's what these sort of powers would do too, probably. You would think a person that already was sort of bent on a little bit on uh, being jealous of people, being an angry person, that sort of thing would take it out on a lot of people. Someone that their whole life was built on helping people and trying to improve their lives and things, wouldn't they probably use these kind of powers to create a food supply for people and do things? I, I don't know. It would be interesting. And I suppose Marvel and the whole superhero thing go against that whole absolute power corrupts absolutely because it's more that whole thing of a reflection of whoever you are. Are you going to use a power for good or evil, right? Um, I don't know. So yeah. So you're thinking like Iron Man would probably turn into an evil person. I don't know. I think I'm just thinking where do you draw the line? Like uh, yeah. there's a scene in the movie The Shack where they're asking the guy to judge these people. And like, where do you draw the line? Like, are you going to take out some dictator because he's evil? Right. Where, right. where does that be? Where is the, you know, the act to justify the, the end result? Right. It becomes a little sort of fuzzy. Well, and I would think if, let's take it back to my thing. If, if your whole thing is helping people and you use whatever your power is to, you know, create more shelters for people to create places where uh, plant seeds so that you can plant a field really like if you're the flash you plant these fields really fast you do whatever it is you use your power to help people there would be no um, temptation or whatever to do to push it too far but if you start going in and you start going well if i was to eliminate putin or whoever it is right some leader somewhere and you say uh, that would actually help that country out or make that a better place. Then it becomes harder and harder as you go through. Now, who do you take out and what do you do? Where do you draw the line? I can see how that becomes a slippery slope that messes you up. Um, so it just all depends on, on sort of what your initial reaction was to having these extra abilities or whatever. Uh, just, I, don't, I guess when everybody gets what they need, maybe... I don't know, a lot of like crime and stuff happens because people are living in poverty. Right. Not getting what they need, their needs met. So they have to turn to, I don't know, it's interesting. Well, and the thing is, you look at it too. If you, if you, if you extrapolate on the superhero thing and you say, okay, if there was a Superman, okay, the only way you make it interesting to make it, right, a, a comic that can run for, you know, whatever it is, 90 years now or 80 years or something, um, is to introduce super superpower bad guys to have kryptonite to do all the things they did, but in reality, if a person like that appeared, there probably wouldn't be a super villain that would show up or anything like that. It would just be this guy, and him flying around and and trying to stop, you know, bank robberies or something, probably wouldn't be as effective as him just using his power to help build bridges, help. Uh, you know, just various construction projects, various planting things. If it's if he has super speed and things, there's a lot of things he could do in a positive way that would actually help us more than crime fighting, probably. Um, now, watching Superman plant seeds and build bridges for 80 years probably wouldn't uh, be great for his comic uh, selling very much, but 
But I do think that's sort of the, you, you kind of have to give into that and go, okay, well, you know, they want to make this fun and and interesting and and things. And so they're not going to have those characters do those things that you would think they could be doing or should be doing. Um, And, and that goes with Iron Man too. He crosses a lot of lines and he's built to cross a lot of lines in that Iron Man um, is Tony Stark and Tony Stark was someone who created weaponry was his was his thing and then he changes away from that over time and, and, and there's that whole underlying piece and uh i think that much makes his character so interesting um you know, there's a lot I, I i'm glad that these comic book characters and things have come out of the comics and started being in movies and things where more a greater audience can watch them and see how they're doing. I mean, I, I love the WandaVision was a great little series and things. I'm just delighted we have those. And we also have all the Star Treks that are coming out and we have the old Star Treks, like we're talking about today with, with this episode. Um, we were in, in, we just, I, I told Bob earlier before we started filming that I just did a episode where we talked about the time element, which was the, um, pilot essentially the pilot backdoor pilot for twilight zone but in that conversation we were having we were talking about how desi lu which is uh, of course i love lucy uh desi that you really wouldn't have twilight zone without them our star trek i know i was just gonna get to that you you wouldn't have twilight zone because that original backdoor pilot would had been sitting for like three years and no one was touching it. And when they played it, they got a huge audience response and then kind of launched twilight zone out of that. I don't, I can't remember if that had anything to do with producing twilight, twilight zone or anything, but at least without that pilot, I don't think, I don't think twilight zone gets done. Then they also had a huge piece in doing star Trek and it wouldn't have existed without them. Um, because it was impressive, and they needed somebody with a lot of money to do two pilots, and uh, and so they did this thing and had Star Trek. But can you imagine what our uh, science fiction uh, life would be for television and and things and movies if you had no Twilight Zone and you had no Star Trek? I don't know. I mean, would you even have like would you have Star Wars? I don't know. I don't know if you have Star Wars without those two things preceding it to kind of help with saying, oh, there is an audience out here for this. If all you have is Captain Video or something, uh, you're in trouble. And it always goes back to Captain Video, and Bob knows this. But <laughs> or if you have Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe, and that is your your <laughs> big sci-fi thing. And all, yeah, we also, you know, because you got um, Mission Impossible, still got movies. I mean, it's not yeah. a show... That's Desilu. Yes. The yeah. one that they never brought back, which I wish somebody would do again, I guess it's it's 270s is Land of the Giants is another one of theirs that was popular in the day. Yes. Land which, of the Giants was huge. I don't think that was Desilu though. I think I think that was that was Irwin Allen doing uh, Land of the Giants. Oh, I thought that was yeah, I thought that was Desilu. Maybe no, I don't think so. I think I, th- I mean they may have had a piece of it because they certainly uh, were involved in a lot of things in the back area but i know that Irwin allen first did uh the sea view uh yeah voice uh, of Bob. what was that one called 
Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Oh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, thank you. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and then, of course, Lost in Space, and Twilight Zone, and not Twilight Zone, and uh, uh, Land of the Giants, and Time Tunnel. They did, yeah, those were all I, his. I forgot about Time Tunnel. What was that? I forgot about Time Tunnel, the spinny guy. Yeah, that's been, yeah. I, I still remember Bob and I uh, having his projector and showing like a projector on the wall of some sort and having, we tied strings around little army guys or something and would tw- twirl them around and it would look like on the wall that you'd see their silhouette like spinning and we'd say they were going through time. <laughs> time travel. So, so it showed that, showed some effect on us. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a deep grab from a long long time ago <laughs> yeah i, I wonder those, I don't I know. Wonder if those episodes are out there anywhere the the guys who spun around on shows no the shows are available um certainly they they have them on uh uh amazon you can get them fairly cheap to to buy the seasons but I want to say for years they were available on Hulu. And I think they still, some of them are on Hulu. It might be the first season of some of them. And I don't think they have everything, but uh, they certainly have some of it. And I know Lost in Space is available on various streaming platforms. Um, yeah, so so they're, they're out there. Who was the guys that did the FBI? What was that? They always had that sort of format, prologue. Scene one, epilogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, Dragnet? No, I'm thinking of the show, the FBI. They also did one other one of my favorites that I don't think you were that into was uh, The Invaders. The Invaders, of course. I love The Invaders. That was Quinn uh, Martin. Quinn Martin did The Martin, Invaders. Yeah. And they also did uh, The Fugitive, which was the same sort of format. And with the, yeah, prologue, epilogue, scene. I mean, wasn't it called scene one? It was, I think it was part one, part two, part three, but. <laughs> interesting it's like, it's like does the audience really need to know which part you're in or whatever <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but it definitely makes what one thing it does do is i think that was kind of before people really thought about branding but essentially that was branding their shows you, when you watched something and it said part one or it's an epilogue or whatever you'd go oh this must be Quinn Martin, or this is, oh, this is like, I mean, I'm sure you, at the time you weren't saying Quinn Martin, but you were probably going, oh, this is like The Fugitive. And and when you watch The Invaders and Fugitive back and forth, they're very similar shows, just one of them more science fiction than the other, of course. But it's still a guy traveling around having adventures sort of thing. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are good shows. We'll have to uh, eventually do some chats about some of those shows. I think that'd be fun. Well, I think uh, we've probably covered... Uh, uh, this episode, Oodles, and also probably uh, half of it has not been about the episode at all, <laughs> which is our usual thing. So <laughs> I hope everybody enjoys this episode, watch this episode, and I hope you've enjoyed ESP Week. And uh, we'll let us go. <laughs>